0: Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit UniteChurchAK.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. There's one altar of all the altars that have ever existed that summarizes or culminates the power of all of them. There's one altar, and that altar was the cross, where Jesus went and he was lifted up and he died for the most incredible things. The most incredible things, guys. And that altar for us was made for us by our God. And every other altar points to that one. Every single altar that ever happens, that ever uh, uh, it comes up in your life is always pointing to Jesus. And it's always pointing to Jesus on the cross it's really an amazing thing John twelve twenty three, the hour has come Jesus replied for the son of man to be glorified very truly I tell you unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life or is willing to give up their life, okay, hates their life or desires to give up their life, counts their life as no value to themselves, in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. This word serve is virtually the same word for worship. That word serve, worship means to give up my life. It's very much like hate my life or let my life go. Count it as nothing in comparison to what I serve and worship. Your service and worship are the same exercise. And Romans 12 is where you can really unpeel that. Romans 12, one through four, okay? So, But your work is, your service is worship to God. In fact, all of the priests, they served as priests. And that service in the temple was worship at the most extravagant altars of all time. And when Jesus went to the cross for us, it was an act of service and worship to the Father for our sake. It's why he said it gave him great joy and pleasure to go to the cross, to suffer and serve so much for the ones he loved. But whoever serves me must follow me. Whoever worships me in the act of service must follow me. There's one leader, church. There's one leader of all of our lives. One. And who we worship, we follow. Who you worship, you follow. What you worship, you follow. What you love, you become. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. God himself, the Father, speaks. And he says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd was there and heard it said, The car that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people unto myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. I want you to think about this for a second. Is now at this time of judgment, the time of judgment is on the world. And a lot of times we'll think, oh shoot, he's coming to judge our sin. That's not what he says here. He says, I've come to judge the prince of this world. And then he says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. See, no one understood mercy. No one knew what Jesus was really all about. And he was about mercy. And at his altar comes forgiveness. At his altar comes collection. He's collecting. He's collecting the people whom he loves. He's not collecting the debt that they, pay, that they needed to pay. He said, no, no, no. At my altar, I'm going to pay the debt. And I, with that debt... I'm collecting something. I'm purchasing something. And it's you. It's your soul. It's your life. And I'm going to pay for it with my blood, not earthly money, but with my blood, because it matters that much to me. We, of course, know that no forgiveness for sin based on God's establishment can be forgiven without the spilling of blood. Like it's blood represents the covenant and the agreement. Between two people in relationship. It's why children are a covenant relationship from the Lord, because they come from blood. Two people together in intimacy and oneness produce a multiplication within their bloodline. Come on. And God Himself. For his kids gave his blood so that we could be a part of his family. Yeah. Revelation 12, 7. Now remember he came to judge the world and the prince of the world, the devil himself and all his angels. Revelation 12, 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. That's the devil and the dragon. That's Satan and all the other fallen angels. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with them. Why don't you think about this? Where did Jesus make his altar? What was the cross planted into? The earth. Where did Jesus come? We talked about this on Christmas. Jesus made his first altar when he came to the earth, a manger made of earth and stone, right? And these are the same altars that God told them they needed to make their altars from, from earth and stone. Jesus came to the earth, the place that the enemy was hurled down and he had power and dominion over. And Jesus came and he put his altar right in the ground. He did it for a reason. Re, On reason, for purpose, Lord. Okay. He did it on purpose for a good reason. All words come in good time. Okay. Satan, who leads the whole world astray, was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Verse 10, and then I heard a loud voice in heaven say. Now, I just want you to get this. When God speaks in a loud voice for everyone to hear, it's pretty important. When God speaks to you in a voice that feels audible to you or is audible, I'm thinking you ought to pay attention. And wherever God speaks in an audible voice to everyone to hear, it's pretty important for us to listen. And most of the time, it's when he's declaring that Jesus is his son and about what Jesus is doing. And here, now. Have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him. Who's they? The believers, okay? All the believers, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives. See, how about this? I hate my life. I love my life so little. I care about my life so little, so much as to shrink back from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. Whew. This is a serious battle. This is a serious war. And I think it's a a really important reason of why even Karen was prophesying today that God is turning up the heat to purify his leaders, to purify his church and his people so that we are ready for the war that is coming, that is upon us, that we are in. We have to be able to survive the pressure the pressure is zero on the fun scale, by the way. No one likes it. And that prophetic word to say, don't try to stick around on the outside edges of the fire, but, but dive into the center. Let the Lord press you into the center of his fire so that all the stuff will come out. Pressure purifies leaders. Loads make leaders. And I just want you to think about this. If Jesus came into your life, you are a leader in the body of Christ. That is not, that word was not just for Zach and I. (laughs) Come on. If it's up to me and Zach and Joni and Jen and a couple other people, we're smoked. If Jesus entered your life, You have taken on a mantle of leadership because you are the light to the world. You are the salt of the earth. You have the fullness of the power of God inside of you. Bill Johnson says it like this. There is no junior Holy Spirit. He's in you. The fullness of God's power is in you. And he's wanting us to be purified and grow up in him. And those are the two main focuses of this message today when we're talking about The altar of altars. Guys, we could teach on this for the whole year. There is so much here in this one little message that I'm going to do that we could literally teach on this all year long. That's not an exaggeration. And God wants us to walk away with something today. And so we're going to be talking about the temple of God. I want to show that to us right now. Is... There are a lot of artifacts in the temple, and each one is literally five weeks of teaching. Like, I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's all we can see, okay? We get to heaven, the Lord's going to show us, like, uh, in x-ray, 4D, whatever you want to think about it, like all these other ridiculous things that he was doing when he just made this one artifact, this one thing, okay? And, but, but there are some major elements here, and the ones that are that I'm going to share with you today are really... We see on the outside up here to the right, that's the brazen altar. It's made of all acacia wood and, and uh, brass. And when you see up on, the, on it, there's a grate where you see the priest is and all the smoke. There's a grate that is lifted up. And on that grate, it would lift up the sacrifice that was placed on it. And then, okay, this sounds a little bit like Jesus, right? Lifted up. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Jesus knew he, need to lay, he needed to lay on this altar and give his life lifted up for all men. Okay, then we see, <clears throat> we're going to skip the molten sea. We're, okay, that's cool. But we're going to talk about the brazen lavers. okay? The brazen lavers were where they would wash the sacrifices, and they would wash the internal organs of the sacrifice, and also the priests would wash off the blood of their hands, and they would look into the waters and reflect on their inner man, their inner person of how, what sin and things are going on in their life. Then we have the two pillars that are standing there outside of the temple. They were, uh, they were the tallest thing that was in the temple, okay? Um, and that are in, in the entire tabernacle or the, uh, the temple of Solomon. They were in the, only the temple of Solomon. But anyway, so they, the, they call them the, the brazen pillars, okay? One is the, temp, the, the, the pillar of Boaz, and the other one is the pillar of Jacob. These pillars look down on the molten sea down here and the brazen altar. They look there and they're made of brass. Then you go in to the Holy of Holies. Everything on the outer court was made of brass which represented uh, forgiveness or judgment of sin, okay? And then inside was all gold. And inside, the gold represented the deity or the glory of God, the deity and the nature of God. Everything inside was gold. We have the candlesticks, the tables of showbread, the altar of incense, which we talked about on the first of the year, if you wanted to listen to that message. And then, in the inside, the very inner place to the right is the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that is where the presence of God, the glory of God would fall. And so, with all this, I could, we could just go on and on about all these little things, and I I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you my testimony about... Uh, An encounter that I had with him. And so, when we read this scripture, it says, we overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. This is kind of like a real personal encounter that I had with the Lord. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not always excited about sharing those really vulnerable things, right? But you are. I know you guys are super pumped about it, especially in front of lots of people, and then you record it. So, Uh, So, I'm with the Lord, and I I was doing all this uh, counseling, you know, over like about a year and a half ago, and I was doing this three-week stint of this whole, you know, uh, internal work stuff that I was doing, which was really amazing, but I had this time when I was alone with the Lord where I was caught up to heaven, and um, I showed up right in the center of the outer court in between the brazen altar and, and the uh, molten sea here. And then Jesus was right there with me. And I'm like, Lord, what is happening? And standing just to the left, where the, right out in front of the brazen altar, were this, this one huge like barbarian looking dude. And then another guy that was like a knight who was like the Prince Charming looking kind of knight perfect armor, flowing hair, no baldness. And I knew, the Lord said, I was like, who are these? He goes, this is your flesh. These are a part of me. The part of me that is my flesh. I'm like, oh, I don't like these guys. I instantly was feeling so much shame because I was thinking, okay, all the things that I've ever done, that I ever feel bad about, these jokers are responsible for. You know what I'm saying? And, but, you know, Jesus was right there, and I didn't feel any judgment from Jesus, but I was feeling all kinds of shame, like crazy amounts of shame. And I'm like, I don't want to see these guys talk to these guys. These guys need to get in line. And I'm thinking about, I need these guys to stay in line. And I realized that they had not fully submitted to the Lord. And so God begins to minister to these two parts of me, my flesh. And as he ministers to them, he asks them, he says, will you submit to me and to him? He's pointing at me. I'm like, this is interesting. And they both say yes. And so this big barbarian part of me and the charmer part of me, which is like, I can conquer anything or I can be, you know, cool enough, good enough, handsome enough to like be okay. To, and, 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 and what happened is, is when they submitted, they knelt before the Lord. I saw another part of me come up from behind the brazen laver, hiding. And it was this skinny, like, teenager version of me that came up and it was like he was in street clothes and like he'd been living on the street and had just been scrounging for supplies and to survive and he was in massive survival hiding from everyone and this part of me comes and just stands over right almost where that priest is but like there and looking at the g looking at jesus and i'm like what who is that And the Lord doesn't address this person. He's looking right at the the flesh parts of me. And the Lord says to them, he's like, will you submit? And they both say, yes. And I could feel like my flesh submitting to the Lord. And the Lord said to me, he said, you have been hiding this part of you behind these guys Because he doesn't really feel loved. And these two parts of you, your flesh, have been trying to do enough, be strong enough, and good enough, or handsome enough, and all this stuff, so that you, in your heart, this vulnerable part of you would truly feel accepted and loved. And so, the Lord is really smart, and... They're just there, And I look at him and I go like, "So what do these guys do now that they submitted to me?" And I, I mean, he just points right at the two pillars. And he says, "They're called to steward this place in my temple." And it was at that moment I knew this temple was the temple in my heart. And as I study this out, I realize, there is a temple in heaven. And it's kind of like I knew this, but I never really paid attention to it, right? So there is a temple in Revelation that is exactly like this temple. And this temple is a replica of the temple that's actually in heaven, where God dwells. And the Lord showed me, he said, this temple, the temple in heaven, is just like the temple that's now in your heart. You have a temple, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord showed me, he said, it looks exactly like the temple in heaven. It's the same. And it all has the same functions, and I've fulfilled it all. This is, it was like, God. Did, Jesus didn't say any of that. I understood that in a moment when he pointed at the pillars. And I understood in a moment, I already knew what these pillars were. But when he told my flesh to go stand in those and to be the stewards of them, they both stood in front of each of them, and then they like absorbed into these pillars. Like whoa. And I looked up, and they're the tallest thing you can see inside the temple. And the Lord told me in that moment, he, he calls. It was just, okay, to say it's so hard to separate when God just released understanding. And I understood, understood something in what God said to me. I don't know that I have all of that perfectly figured out. But it was made known to me that this part of me that was hiding Um, needed the flesh part of me to stop managing me and go steward something different. And the position of these pillars is so critical because God has called our flesh, my flesh, to steward the testimony. To steward the testimony of the things that I have done wrong. The way that I come up short. The way that I have failed, every way I have failed, is a towering testimony to everyone in the temple, and it is the only thing from the outside of the temple that you can see. Do you know that? So if you were walking around outside the temple, and you were a, a Gentile or uh, someone who didn't know God, the only thing you could see is the tops of those two towers of Boaz and Jacob. You wouldn't be able to see all the other artifacts. They were covered by a wall. But the very thing that you could see is the sin and the wrong things that you have done. That's what everybody gets to see about your life. I told the Lord, I'm not comfortable with that. And the Lord said to me, They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And then, as I'm wrestling with the shame of all the things that I've done and not wanting anybody to know anything about them, and now the Lord's telling me they're the testimony. He he released the understanding that I then understood. It's the thing the world can see from the outside of my temple and it's the very thing that is looking right upon the brazen altar where he gave his life for me. Then Jesus turned over and he pointed to the altar and he said, do you see the blood on that altar? That's mine. And it's for you. Come on. And I realized for me to enter the holy place I had to truly be separated from my sin. And I understood this, that Jesus separated me from my sin, but I wasn't separated from my shame. Because I don't like the things I'm responsible for. Even though I know Jesus forgave me for them, I don't want them to be a testimony. I want to be perfect. And I wish I was perfect, but I am far, far from that. And Jesus told me, it was I or I understood at this moment, and I have been coming to understand more and more that the shame, the separation of the shame, see, Jesus did not come to condemn me or judge me. He came to judge the world. And he came to draw me unto him. But in order for the part of me which was hiding behind the brazen laver, which the Lord said to me, that's the part of you that's called to be my bride. He said, unless you come to terms with this, you will never let me love the part of you that is made to be my bride. And so I started to realize, Jesus Loves that part of me so much that he wants to separate me from the shame of my sin, not from people knowing my sin. Because when he separates me from the shame of my sin, I can now release it as a testimony to shy, that, that, that is looking upon the brazen altar where he died for my sacrifice which goes right in, access right into the mercy seat where I can experience the power of his presence and its fullness. And what that is, is when I'm separated from my shame, then I know I can deliver the testimony so others can know that he loves them this way too. But if I can't separate myself from my, my shame, from my actual sin, then I can't declare it as a testimony for him. Guys, I'm not saying this is easy. But this is the truth. So what happens next is the Lord, after these two parts of me come and they integrate into the pillars. There's so much about all these pillars that is amazing. The pillar of Boaz and Jachin. <clears throat> Jachin means God will establish. And Jachin was actually a priest who was chosen impartially to minister at the entrance of the Holy of Holies. So Jacob would minister there as a priest to let people into the holy of holies. And then Boaz was the kingsman redeemer who married Ruth, who was a Moabitess. And Boaz was, his main name means strength. Strength is in him. My strength is in Jesus. Okay, This is amazing to me. God will establish and my strength is in him. In my weakness, he is strong and my strength. My, my ability to be made holy and righteous is in him. And these are the testimonies that are looking on to the brazen altar. Where we made the sacrifice. But this king, kinsman redeemer was my family bought me back. A family member bought and redeemed Ruth back and Naomi back. And this is what Jesus did for us. And Boaz and, and, and uh, uh, Ruth, Ruth is a Gentile. Boaz is a Jew, and they get married, and he's the kingsman redeemer, and they have Obed, and then he's like the great grandfather or the double great grandfather of David, King David, and who was in the line of Jesus. And so, God took from our sin and from the mixture of a priest and then the lineage of kings, are the are the two pillars of Boaz and Jacob, priests and kings, that look upon the brazen altar where we find the sacrifice for Christ, which is who we are called to be as priests and kings, and go into the Holy of Holies. God, we are made to go into the Holy of Holies. But there's a part of us that God's told me is not designed to be left behind, and it's the bride. And I think this message is for everybody, but especially for a lot of men that struggle with. This vulnerability, like me, I've struggled with this my whole life, of really, truly, how do, I, how do I become the bride, Lord? This is so crazy to me. And I imagine myself in a dress, slow dancing with Jesus, and I just get weirded out. <laughs> Anybody else with me? I mean, like, come on, dudes. Come on. You're like riding your Harley, right? And then you're like, I'm going to slow dance with Jesus in a dress. That's not happening. Okay, yeah, it does sound amazing for women, okay, but it doesn't sound so cool for dudes. And I didn't see this coming, I had no idea this was about to happen to me, but Jesus walks over, and Jesus is like perfect gentleness and masculinity at the same time. He's not feminine, but he's gentle, okay? I mean, he's a man, and he's God, and he's so gentle. I think, when you watch The Chosen, and you see Jesus there, whenever I watch The Chosen, Every time I cry in The Chosen, it's when he, like, he portrays how I have met Jesus. And I'm like, this guy gets it. Like, he is getting, like, at least a glimpse into who Jesus really is. And I start bawling like a baby, okay? Okay, bawling like a baby, I man cry, okay? I man cry. Let's be honest. (laughs) Bawling like a baby is tears actually come out of my eyes, at least one out of both eyes, okay? Okay? One tear out of both eyes, just so you guys understand my language, okay? So I'm not trying to exaggerate, but for me, that's bawling. Okay, so, all right. So I'm over here, and the Lord calls this teenager part of me. He says, this part of you is called to be my bride. And he calls this part of me up. And the Lord begins to minister to this part. And this part is super afraid and anemic and very, Sad and lonely. This is the loneliest part of Josh in my whole life because I've always felt that I wasn't good enough to be loved. And I knew that Jesus loved me. I just, there, were part, there was a part of me that couldn't feel it and I couldn't feel it from anyone else. And I was afraid to be that vulnerable because I was like so ashamed of the things I had done that I didn't want them. I didn't think Jesus, I didn't believe, even though I thought in. Knew, but I didn't believe Jesus would really love that part of me because of what He was responsible for. And the Lord just grabs my hand and He spins me like this—not twirls me all feminine like. He just spins me like this. I mean, like really, like. It was like a, it was an amazing moment. It was just like a spin move, like in football. That's right. It wasn't like that. It was way more gentle. I wish it was like that. No, He He grabs me. And he just spins me around. And in one revelation, I started, revolution, I started to grow. And then my clothes started to change from these scantly like, street urchin orphan clothes and to a wedding garment that was like a, looked like a priest's gown. Like, like, if you see one of the Indian, like, uh, full wedding dresses that the men wear, they're, like, masculine and cool, and they're like you know what i'm saying like bollywood or whatever it's called that's what it looked like <laughs> i felt masculine in it. and that part of me grows up to a full adult <laughs> it was amazing and i'm like i'm standing there going whoa and then the lord says you were always meant to be my bride and like put his hand on my heart and he said you were always meant to be my bride let's go in. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let's do that. I'm sitting there going, this is going to be great. So we walk in and we go right in. And when we, when we went through the, through the pillars, it was like the Lord put his hands on them. Like, yep, this is where you're supposed to be. And then we walked in and we go right in. We go past all the stuff and the Lord says nothing. I'm like, hey, I want to ask you some questions about all this. And we go, we'll tell you about that later. That's literally what he said to me. And we go past all that. stuff. So like, I need to show you something. And so we go into the Holy of Holies and there's the Ark of the Covenant right there. And I ask the Lord, I go, Lord, can I worship you? And he says, not yet. I want to show you something. And so he grabs my hand and the hand of the part of me that's supposed to be the bride. And we're all three like holding hands. And we began to like, Hebraic, you know, Hebrew like celebration wedding dance around with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of us. And I don't know even if mathematically our arms were long enough to really do this, but this is what happened. And as we were dancing, and it was like, I don't know if you have, I mean, I'm probably coming back to The Chosen because it's like the best movie that's ever been made, ever on the planet, right? And, um, when the when the disciples were dancing with Jesus at the wedding of Canaan, when they turned the water into wine, that is that's exactly what it was like and felt like. Very family, friendship, masculine, like together. Like I know I keep coming back to that, but I just want you know I didn't feel. I'm saying this for the men in the space, okay? Like, because for all of us, we feel this way. This is hard. To understand that Jesus will dance with us as His bride in a fully masculine, non-homosexual way, it is nothing—even a hint of any of that stuff—and so that's where we get kind of like caught up because the world has become so hypersexualized and evil. It is—it is perverted how Jesus wants to relate to His bride. And guys, gals, we are His bride as we dance. It was Jesus' smile was like unbelievable. The joy that was in the room, I couldn't believe. I honestly had never had that much fun in my life. And then all of a sudden, that part of me, it was the bride, integrated with me. And I became one. And the Lord was like, that's what I made you for. This is what I died for. You are my bride. Not a part of you is my bride. You need to accept that you are my bride. And we're gonna worship, we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna praise our way to that integration, like to you being integrated and in celebrating with him. It was like we were celebrating what he had done and who he was in my life, and it was a poof, then we and then I, then I became one. And then the Lord said to me, now you can worship me. And right in front of the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus sat on the Ark of the Covenant as his throne. He sat on the mercy seat, guys. He sat on the mercy seat, and I bowed down before him. I just put my hands on my face, just knelt and lay down. I just began to worship him. Holy, holy are you, God. I love you so much. I had never felt such love for the Lord because I'd, ne- I'd been so separated with myself. And I began to worship him. And I don't know how long I was worshiping the Lord, guys. It could have been an hour. I, I, I lost all track of time, space. And then at some moment, the Lord, like, grabbed my face and he lifted it up. He said, I want you to look around. And as I looked around, everything made of gold was emanating the glory of God. Light. Everything inside the temple is gold because it's designed to emanate the glory of God. And it emanates the glory of God when the bride of Christ worships the King of Kings, the priest of all priests. Inside your temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit is you. When you, the bride of Christ, come in and worship him in spirit and in truth, the glory of God begins to emanate in your internal world. And this is how you and I become the light of the world. It's not through showing up to church and trying to rub sin off your life and trying to get a Jesus bath by worshiping out here and singing songs that aren't connecting to your heart. Listen, the bride of Christ must worship him in spirit and in truth. And every altar that has ever Existed all points to this moment of what Jesus did for you and I. And we have to come to terms with the fact that He died for our sin. And then He designed our sin to become a testimony for others to believe that in their sin, that they could be loved in the same way. That they, even in their greatest failures, could come into the Holy of Holies and be the bride of Christ and worship Him. And the glory of God could emanate in and through their life. It is not earned. It has been paid for. It is accessed. You access it through worship. You are worship. In this moment when I was laying before the Lord and I looked around and I saw his glory, I thought, I go, this is so rad. And he goes, wait till the Holy Spirit shows up. I was like, whoa. And I was like, I want to see that. He goes, you will. Revival's coming. Come on, guys. But my bride must be ready. This is the word of the Lord for you today, for all of us today. My bride must be ready. This word, Karen, delivered is exactly on point. Pressure purifies the bride. I'm in it. I'm making my mistakes, I'm being purified, but I'm saying, Lord, put me to the center of the fire because I wanna be purified because I wanna be in the holy of holies and I want the bride, I want to be your bride and I want to worship you with my life and in that, I wanna experience your glory coming in and through and shining through my life. Come on. Holy Spirit's on his way, church. He's coming for a bride that's worshiping him. This amazing thing happens just before Jesus declares this, that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me, is Mary in verse, chapter 12, verse 3. And we don't have the passages for this, so you can leave the temple up still. Um, it says, Mary took 12 ounces, a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciples who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money should have been given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole money for himself. Jesus said, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Eleanor prophesied this weekend at KN. She said, we are in a Holy Spirit-led time with a great shift that is shaking and sifting and setting in leaders to their great ministries. This is a season of holy fear, a time to empty out ourselves before the Lord, and a time to come to the altar of repentance, an altar of purity, and an altar of being wed to the Lamb of God. That's I typed that down. Maybe some of y'all type a little bit different. That's what I typed down when she said that. I think I got it. A time of purity, a time of coming to the altar to be wed to the Lamb of God. Tori, the prophet that was preaching this weekend, he said, We're in a new season of dedication to Him and His presence pursuing his presence in everything we do, pursuing his anointing and his glory. God is calling his church to, as Mary poured out, all of this expensive oil and this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet to worship him, to prepare him for the the sacrifice where he would be lifted up and pay the price for our sin on the altar of altars the ultimate altar. And when she did this, she took this perfume and it was the mo- about the most expensive perfume any person could have. And they mixed nard with this regular oils or whatever it was to make them smell super fragrant. And it was the best in natural people could bring. And so it was her best It was her best in the natural of what she as a human being could prepare. It wasn't the anointing oil that God told them to do. It was nothing like that. The significance of this oil was that she poured out from her earthly vessel what she could prepare and get from what she could gather and give to the Lord. She gave all of what she could give. And it was really, it was a year's worth of wages too. This was her life. This was her heart. This was everything that she could have. She poured it out on the feet of Jesus. And there's always people that will mock the way you pour out your life to Jesus, how much you risk for him, what you give to him, how passionately you pursue him, how you travail before the Lord, what you give up before God, how you worship him and you dance before him, you lay out before him. People will always judge and say, oh, that's too much. But the Lord, the Lord, Jesus himself, will, one, always come to your defense. And he will always honor the way you worship him. Whatever you give up for him, as much as you'll give up for him, even the rich young ruler, he tells the rich young ruler, give everything up for me. And he's all like, I can't do that. The Lord's saying to each one of us, will you give it all up to be my bride? She was preparing him for his death, but I'm telling you right now, the oil of the Lord is preparing each one of us for our spiritual or our physical or soul and emotional death, guys. We have to give up our life in this level and in this place of worship before him. Worship is giving up our life, disregarding our life above his, above what anybody thinks of us. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at UniteChurchAK.org. We hope to see you soon.